The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. So we're in John chapter 10. We will start at verse 22 through 29, but let me review. Okay, so we, we want to put it in context correct? Jesus began the chapter with this metaphor of sheep and a shepherd. He tells us in verse 11, he is the good shepherd. Sheep are all believers, not just the disciples, because we found out in verse 16 that he says, I have sheep that are not of this fold, in another pen, uh, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice and we will all become one flock. So it's not just the disciples or just the Jews. We know that. He talks about robbers and thieves who jump over the wall, avoid the gate, which he himself says he is the gate. But they also avoid the gatekeeper. And we talked about that being the word of God. He talks about the distinction between the good shepherd and the hired hand. The hired hand, when the wolves show up, he splits. Okay? And he says that the good shepherd voluntarily lays down his life for a sheep and takes it up again. Through this language, this metaphor, the Jews are divided. Okay? Some say he's demon-possessed and crazy. Okay? And others say, wait a minute, his words and action doesn't quite line up with craziness or a demoniac. All right, that's, that's where we got to. Now we're at verse 22 of chapter 10. When you're there, you can stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read through verse 29. I really pondered including verse 30, but I can go on verse 30 for the whole sermon on itself. So, John chapter 10 starting in verse 22. Now at the time of the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered him, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give life, eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. He is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You may be seated. So I wanted to make sure, that's what I want to make sure of you, because he taps into that sheep-shepherd metaphor again. Okay? So as we do, we will um, take each verse, um, look at it one at a time, and then we will take at and look at some of the theological significance uh, and practical application of that. So as we look at verse 22 and 23, it tells us it's the Feast of Dedication. We know that today is Hanukkah. Okay, during the Maccabean Revolt some years before, several decades before, a uh, hundred years before more, when they freed themselves uh, from Assyrian 
rule and the temple is rededicated and they light the candelabra again the festival of lights we know as hanukkah that's what it's talking about it's in winter okay which is the for them and typically around the 25th of december okay so you know as you most of you know your jewish friends if you have them celebrate hanukkah about the same time we celebrate christmas okay but it does tell us this much it's been three months since the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jesus started teaching in chapter 7 through 8 into 9, okay? So we know three months have passed. What he's been doing that time, well, you need to read the other Gospels. They talk about things that happen in that period of time, okay? He is in the porch or portico of Solomon. So if you have, I think most of you have probably seen those pictures of the Temple Mount or the model of the Temple Mount, um, and so you have the temple, then you have this outer court area with these pillars. This was called the Porch of Solomon, particularly at the Eastern Gate. And we know from Acts, particularly, besides historically, that this was a place where even the disciples would go and teach and have debate and dialogue. So Jesus is, is in that area where it's customary to open dialogue, to teach and have people question you, so in that place, the Jewish teachers, the Jews, the, particularly the Pharisees, okay, gather around him and want to ask him a question. Okay? Now, some scholars, and it may be so, because we see in this they want to kill him. We've seen earlier that they're plotting to kill him. But that gather around him is the same word you typically use to encircle or surround someone in battle. So it, perhaps they were encircling. I would suggest they do because I believe they're trying to entrap Jesus here with this question. Okay, But it's in the place where you're allowed to ask questions. It's in the place where it's common to ask questions. All right? And they, they, they says, how long will you keep us in suspense? And I, again, I know I'm weird. I understand that. Uh, and I look at this word, uh, keep us in suspense. It's, it's really uh, the word for... Uh, how long will you take away our breath or how long will we hold our breath? Because if you hold it long enough, what happens? Die. So the word breath, in Latin is suke, soul. Okay, so will you take our soul, that kind of thing? I guess a, a more literal translation might be how long will you keep us holding our breath? I think in an English colloquialism we might say the suspense is killing me okay well what's this what's so what, what what are you wondering so much about what are you so suspense what are you holding your breath for he they ask it tell us if you are the christ tell us plainly Good. what do they mean by that no more sheep metaphors no more doors Okay, don't do that. Just say it straight up. Don't give it to us in a metaphor. Of course, he does use the metaphor again. You might ask, though, why are they asking this question if they already think he's a demoniac and crazy? If you're telling the people, these leaders, this, guy, this guy's got a demon. This is the second time they've said it. Okay, he's nuts. Well, why would you be asking if he was the Christ? If you think he's nuts, his answer won't matter. This is where I think they're trying to attract him because if he affirms he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that's come to deliver Israel 
from, in their view, the Roman oppressors, well, then they got a reason to go to the Romans, don't they? Hey, this guy says he's the Christ. He's going to free from you. That's insurrection. Go get him. If he denies the Christ, that will help them sort of purge his influence over the Jewish people. He said he's not the Christ. Okay, so I think in that encirclement idea that he's done it. And he says, tell us plainly. And Jesus then says in verse 25, I told you and you do not believe. Well, what did he tell them? He's already told them. Too many people think this. Jesus, I actually have read a Jesus right here deceives them. Because he never said whether he was the Christ or not. No, but he already told them who he was. Back in chapter 5. He's the Son of God. Okay? So Jesus refers to himself in chapter 5 as the Son of God. He calls upon the testimony, if you recall, of John the Baptist, his own works, the testimony of God the Father, and the testimony of Scripture to prove that he's the Son of God. He recognizes the real issue is not what you want to trap me in. The real issue is, who am I? I don't really matter what you want to do with it. The people all around here listening need to know who he is. And he says, I've told you before and you do not believe. But this is what causes the core division back in chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 9. And here is who is Jesus. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to go through a bunch of scriptures. In John, just in John, of everything Christ claims about himself. Okay? So I'm just prepping you for that. Bring your pen right fast. But that's really the core issue. But he says to them, I told you, you still didn't believe. So why should I bother telling you anything now, if I can add that phrase to it? Okay? Not only did I tell you, but the works I do in my Father's name, which he's brought up already in chapter 5, they're a witness, they're a testimony. Okay? That I am who I told you and you don't believe. And recall back in chapter 5, when he's, he's trying to show them that he's the Son of God. They try to stone him because, and I will quote, you are making yourself equal with God. I want you to understand, we, we might see it differently. When I say, Judah is my son, nobody here thinks Judah is me. But we didn't grow up in the first century Judaism. How many of you have ever seen the movie or read the book, Ben-Hur? Okay, the old movie, Charles Heston, I'm in the middle of reading the book again. Ben-Hur is a Jewish fellow that gets adopted by a Roman eventually. He is referred to then by the, as the son of the Roman guy, not his father of the line of Hur. That's H-U-R. Okay. He is, in every way, that fellow, the Roman fellows, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, Arius, I think, something like that. Um, that's him. When he shows up, and, and this particular guy happened to be part of the Senate in the book, so, so when Ben shows up, he shows up not as the name Ben, and he doesn't come as himself. To them, it's one and the same. Our, idea, our culture don't get that. They recognize when he called himself the Son of God, 
who is not corporeal, does not have a body, that's been eternal, who doesn't have a wife, who never had relations with. So we read the begotten son, we tend to think that again in physical realm. But when you say you're the son of God, you're saying you're God. And they understood that. Okay? But Jesus then tells them, now remember he says, I told you, my works show it, you don't believe. Then he tells them why they don't believe. Now, I'm going to be straight. This next verse, most, I, I could tell you, I'm re- they actually take what Jesus says and reverse it to the complete opposite of what Jesus actually said. They really do. I, I, most, most do. Okay. It's going to give an effect and then it's going to give the cause of that effect because right in the middle of this statement is the word because or since. Okay. Uh, it's a causal particle, hoite in Greek, if you want to know. I'm sure you were looking for that. Here is the effect. You do not believe because. Why don't you believe? Because you're not my sheep. Don't reverse his statement. Too many make Jesus say this. You're not my sheep because you don't believe. They make the believe the cause. That is not what Jesus said. No, you don't believe because you're not my sheep, because he's already said, my sheep hear, and he goes on to say this, don't flip Jesus' words around. Then Jesus lists some properties or characteristics of his sheep. Okay, look, you don't believe because you're not sheep. Let me explain to you what sheep look like, if I can say it like that. Okay. My sheep hear my voice, voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, it will never perish, so on. So let's look at these things that are attributes, properties, I like the term properties a little better, of sheep, his sheep. Okay, sheep hear his voice. That, again, we have to look at that, that is listen and obey, heed, not just hear it. Because earlier he says about the sheep in the pen, they know his voice. They recognize it. Here he's saying, not only do they hear it, they actually respond to it. His sheep, notice their sheep first. That's what causes the response. The other ones you have no response, you don't believe, because you're not sheep. Okay. Then it says this, he knows his sheep. Well, I hope so. Okay, back in verse 3, we found out he calls them by name. We talked about last week the word know. It's not that the good shepherd doesn't have knowledge of all the other things out there. He is omniscient. He, he knows. He knows exactly how many hairs and has them numbered on my head. As much as he does, any unbeliever, he knows the hairs on their head as well, and they're numbered. He knows when they're going to die, that he knows when they grew up, he knows who their parents were, he ordained that that's who their parents are. He knows who they, he knows everything about them. So what does he mean when he knows his sheep? In some different way than non-sheep. That is intimacy. We talked about that last week. His sheep 
follow him. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that the same thing as heed? Not necessarily when you look at, but you can look just at an English dictionary. Let me give you a few definitions of follow in English dictionary. To move in the same direction. To live one's life according to. To imitate. Or to go after or pursue. So it isn't just, hearing they, they move in the same direction as the shepherd. They live their life according to the life the shepherd lives. They imitate him and they pursue him. And David was a man after God's own. David pursued God's heart. It's, a fine, it's funny he uses that of a shepherd. Okay. They, they, I'll say, flow together. His sheep have been given eternal life. Now, remember, we're talking about properties of sheep. They heed his voice. He knows them. They move in unison with him. And he has given them eternal life. Let me, let me give you some synonyms for eternal, perpetual, ceaseless, endless, immutable. If something is said to be eternal, but can be taken away, thrown away, or destroyed, it was never eternal by definition. I know today we want to redefine words. But for something to be eternal, it has to have always been eternal. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't, it doesn't is eternal, then it's not. Then it never was if it's not. And he reiterates this with the next phrase. I have given them eternal life. They will never perish. Duh. By the term eternal life, they will never perish. Now, this is going to mess with you. Okay? And I won't read it to you in the Greek. Okay? This perish is the same word as lost. In the parable of the lost sheep, that lost sheep is always a sheep didn't stop having the properties of sheepness. Okay? In John 6, when Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing. Same word. Well, can you lose it? No, because it'll never perish. It's eternal. He emphasizes that eternal. Well, what do you mean by eternal? It means it'll never be lost. It'll never go away. It'll never be destroyed. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Listen to these qualifying clauses Jesus puts to the simple phrase eternal life. No, John 3, 16, we all know that, right? Eternal life. Those, those aren't there. Here, he wants to make sure you understand what he means by eternal life. And he says this, no one, okay, no one will snatch them out of my hand, okay? It's a double negative in the Greek, not no one. No, not one. That's bad English to use a double negative, right? 
but, but, but Jesus uses the double negative to make sure you understand. No, 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 not one, not any, if I could say it like that. Okay? Even the thief that comes to kill and destroy, back in verse 10. Now, Jesus explains why it is impossible for his sheep to be anything other than sheep. He explains why no, no one can snatch it out of my hand. It's eternal, it's forever. And he explains why. Look at verse 29 and 30. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus is the reason they're always my sheep because of who the Father is. Now, the Father is immutable. He does not change. So what Jesus said, the reason that they're always his sheep and that no one will ever snatch him out of him, no, not one, they'll never perish because of who God is. My Father, God, is greater than all. He's, here's what he's saying to you. The reason no one could ever take him out of my hand, the Father is given to me, they're in his hand, and God is omnipotent. Can you think of anything, guys, that's greater than God? That's why no one could ever take my sheep. Because there's nothing, there's no one greater than God. He goes, no one will snatch them, his sheep, out of my father's hand. This corresponds with what he said back in chapter 6, verses 37 through 39. All the Father gives me shall come to me. I'm not going to go there yet. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That all that he has given me, of all of them, I lose none. So how many will they lose? None. Now, many people want to, again, argue like they do in this chapter. That, well, no, no, that's the disciples. Problem is, he does lose a disciple. Later, Jesus says something similar, but he particularly talks about his disciples and the one, Judas. Here... Many people want to take what Jesus about losing none of his sheep. That's the disciples. The problem is, he's got sheep not of this fold. And raise them up in the last day. That's the rest of that. It's the Father's will that he loses none. And who's bigger than God? That could thwart his will. I, I, didn't, I didn't take the time. I've done it before. All the scriptures says, you cannot mess with God's plan. What God has determined to do and we does, you can't change. There's just too many scriptures for me to go through that. Let me give you a couple other scriptures that confirm this, that, that our salvation is secure in God. Hebrews 7 and 25. Therefore, he is able to save forever. How can I put that? Eternally. We'll, we'll try to pull it. Forever, those who come to God through him, since he, the shepherd, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. 
Ephesians 4 and 30 tells us that those that are gods, the believer, is sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. It doesn't say sealed until they mess up enough. Because no one can take them out. They can't not be in the Father's hand. They're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 38 through 29. Now, those of you that are here on Wednesday nights, I want to emphasize the fact, in the last part of this, you will hear the word us. You have to ask what question? Who is us? In this particular case, us are believers, not everybody in the world. Romans 8, 38 through 29. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present, nor things to come. Did you catch that? Not now, or even the future. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is not a blanket statement about God's love for the world in general. It's about God's love for his sheep. When Jesus says, no one will take him, here Paul just goes bigger and lists it. Life, death, angels, principalities, present, future, power. No, nothing will separate. Are you, are you a thing? Yeah, you're a thing. You can't separate yourself from the love of God. Uh-oh. Okay. The bedrock for the, what's called the doctrine that true regeneration, true salvation, true justification is eternally secure is the immutable omnipotence of God. I'm going to say that again. The foundation, that bedrock for which the doctrine of eternal security stands is the nature of God, in particular, His omnipotence. That's what Jesus draws on here. Who's bigger than God? Who can take him out of God? And he's mightier than all. If eternal life is only made possible when you're regenerated, born again, is it something you actually have? I want you to ponder that. If eternal, because let's get real. When you come to Christ, and if that can be taken out of God's hands, it isn't eternal. So it's not really something you have. It's just the possibility of having eternal life. Because eternal life happens at the end of knowing what we know of this life. Okay. Is it that God said, I make life possible... Or is eternal life a promise from God? And back in 6, John 6, 47, Jesus starts this way. Truly, truly a statement of fact. I say to you, who, he who believes in me has eternal life. Not just the possibility of it. It's a statement, it's a promise. If God's promise of eternal life is not actual it's just potential, then God's promise isn't true. And you might as well take the book and throw it out. You know where I got that argument? From an atheist website. 
Because they argue, wait a minute, these people say you can be saved and then unsaved and be saved and unsaved. Then God doesn't keep his promises. So why do you guys believe the Bible? See, an atheist can figure that out. Thus, if the doctrine of eternal security is not true, you cannot, you cannot count on any of the other promises in Scripture. It's just as much in the beginning God created. If that ain't true, if Jesus, barely, barely, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. That's either true or it's not. If it's only possible, and then, then not possible, if you do enough bad things or you throw it away or whatever term they want to use, then it was never eternal to start with. Because we've got to understand salvation is a work of God alone. It's called monergism. One energy, one work. Back in John 6, in verse 44, no one can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No, it doesn't say, you know, no one can come unto me unless they seek me. And he what it says. And verse 29 of that same chapter. This is the work of God. What is the work of God? That you believe in him who sent me. Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you mean my belief is God's work? Yeah. Don't you have to believe? Uh-huh. But that itself is the work of God. Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace have you been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Now, I understand it's talking about salvation, but the gift of God. But, but salvation comes in, in belief and faith. And you know what? You don't have that. It's not your doing. It's God's doing. Try to undo what God has done. The Bible says as long as the earth remains, there will be springtime and harvest and so on. I know there are people telling you that man's going to destroy the world and there won't be any springtime and no harvest anymore. Mm, sorry, God said it. He's doing it. Good luck trying to undo that. What's intriguing, by the way, and I mentioned this to a few people, that history professor guy I was talking about, talking about the high Middle Ages, and I'm surprised he's probably not fired by now. He says, I know what they say today, but he says, by the rings of trees by the seeds and by everything else, Europe was warmer in the late Middle Ages than it is today. I'm surprised he's still got a job because, you know, he's, he's misinformation about climate change. All right? And he attributes that, by the way, to one of the reasons, one of, there's many, but one of the reasons for the population explosion during that 1,000 to 1,350 Europe's population doubled, which it hadn't done for 600 years, and part of it was the warming so they can grow more food and this kind of thing, all right? You're not going to undo what God does. If God wants to change the climate back to what it was at the late Middle Ages, good luck trying to change that. If he wants to turn it in another ice age, good luck trying to change that. If you want to change your good gender, good sex, good luck trying to change that. We'll dig you up in a thousand years, they'll look at your bones, and they'll tell you what you were, no matter what you chose. I'll get in trouble for that one. Okay? 
John chapter 1. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, we already know that's the work of God, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, physically, nor by the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Salvation is a work of God. Good luck undoing it. It is God's purpose and will that not one sheep be lost. We've read that already. Again, from John 6, this is the will. I came to do the will of the one who sent me, and his will is that I don't lose any. If Jesus loses one sheep, he was not obedient to the Father, therefore he is a sinner, and we're all lost. Now, I, I, quickly, some people want to say, well, what about this scripture and that scripture? And I'm not taking time to take those apart. Okay, but they sure do seem to imply, okay, that somehow it's connected with our behavior and our choices. The problem with this, when it comes to Scripture, the explicit always interprets the implicit. Give you an example. Noah, before Noah, everybody's wicked, and God relented, repented, felt sorry, whatever term they use in your version, that he created man. See, God must repent. He has to change. Wait a minute. I got scripture in several places. I got, don't change. I'm not like man. I don't change. Therefore, if you say that scripture means God changed, you've got to retranslate, reinterpret. Because God explicitly says, I don't change. Here he says, I won't lose one sheep. It's the Father's will that I don't want. They have eternal life. They will never perish. No one can take him out of my hand. So if you read a scripture, it's not something could take him out of his hand. Nope, you can lose it. Then you're interpreting incorrectly. I just offended a whole bunch of my brothers in the Lord. Pastors included. See, they read that you're not my sheep because you don't believe. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. You're not my sheep, and I don't grant you belief or appoint to you belief like it says in Acts 14, those appointed unto belief. God's nature is what secures his work of salvation. It is God's nature that secures his work of salvation. Ecclesiastes, ooh, Old Testament, 3.14. Now that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it. And God who has worked, God, oh, excuse me, and God has so worked that people would fear him. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. Thank, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which has been given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you may be enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, 
Just as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking any gift as you eagerly await the revelation of Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Well, how do I know I'm going to be held blameless to the end? Because God's faithful. God cannot be unfaithful. It is not within His nature. It's not possible. Philippians 1 and 6. For I am confident of this very thing, you Philippian Christians, that He who began a good work in you will complete it by the day of Jesus Christ. He either will complete it or he won't. He starts it, yeah, doesn't get finished. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused, see the cause, caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Ephesians 1 and 13, yeah, Scripture. What an idea. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise. Not sealed with the Holy Spirit of possibility. He just makes eternal life possible. Hebrews 10 and 14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. For all time. Is, is there any time not included in that? Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence only, I read these so you get it in context, not only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice it does not say maintain your salvation. No, let that salvation come out and show up in you. Okay? For it is God who is at work in you both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. <laughs> work out your salvation. But before you get too big-headed, is God doing the work anyway? Before you think you can do those good works all on your own, you understand it's God doing it anyhow. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame 
until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Faithful is he who calls you. And he also will do it. If he at all says you have eternal life and an end of life comes and you stand before God and you don't have it, he was not faithful to his word. Well, don't we have to? Yeah, you do, but the only way you do it is him doing it anyway. I did nothing to get saved, to be redeemed. God did it all. God's the one who keeps it all. God's the one who preserves his sheep. See, it's not a matter of preserving those who are sheep, but as God is preserving what he has done. It's not a matter of a sheep, sheep maintaining what God has done. God preserves his work in us. We don't preserve his work in us. We don't make sure that we're sheep by keep on doing a thing or things. He does it in us to assure it. Okay? So, the believer's eternal security is because, or founded in, the nature and character of God who is greater than all. It is promised by the Father and the Son it is sealed by the Holy Spirit. It is purchased by the blood of Christ. Where are you in that picture? Where did you contribute anything? Where is there synergism uh, in the Latin co-operate? Yeah, but you have to believe to have eternal life. You're right, but I go back to what I previously said. Salvation is the work of of God alone. Therefore, belief is the work of God alone. Faith is the work of God alone. If you don't believe it, hang around. Come on Wednesday nights as we work our way through the Ephesians. Okay? 1 John 2, 24. Okay? Well, wait a minute. I got a friend. You know, I had a friend, and they came down front, and then they did their thing, and for years they lived this way, and, and now they're an axe-murdering racist, pedophile, embezzler, whatever you want them to make them out to be. There are such things as false converts. That's where we're looking at John 2 and 24. The one who says, I have come to know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Okay? It's God who works in our desires and our will to be obedient to him, to heed his voice, to follow him. He's the one that does the work. God's word assures the true believer. Not your actions, because you will mess up. 1 John 5 Notice both of these have been from the same author as we're in now. 11 through 13. And the testimony of God is that God has given us eternal life. And the, this life is in His Son. The one who has life, some of you may have remember this, memorized this if you've ever done Navigator's thing. 
Okay? The one who has life, or the one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son does not have life. Because God is life. I started that way today. Okay? These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can have the possibility, if you keep it all right, of having eternal life. No, I wrote all these things, and this is John speaking. God had him write these things so you would know that you have eternal life because that eternal life is in the Son. It's because of who God is, not because of who you are, what you've done. I know, I can hear your brains. Yeah, but I believed I had faith. I'm sorry, you don't believe and you don't have faith unless God gives it to you. You weren't smarter than the guy sitting next to you or the lady sitting next to you. Okay? I know, we have a problem with that. We deal with, we've talked about that before. Okay? As a benediction, I want to read to you from Jude, only one chapter. So Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now and forevermore. May him who is able to protect you to keep you from someone, to make you stand, to make you stand in his presence in the end. That's why he gets the glory when you stand there. Not because, you know, I kept it pretty good. I, I stayed pretty much in line, God. I'm glad I'm here. I was able to keep my salvation and my eternal life by doing the right things till I got here. Well, praise to you. But we will stand there and recognize this. I did nothing to get it. I did nothing to keep it, to preserve it. And any good I did do was done because you were working in me to start with. That wasn't me either. So all the glory belongs to him. Let's stand. Now, some will argue that this gives people license to sin. Then you don't get it. You didn't hear what I was saying. Because it's God's will, and He gives you the desires, and the work, and the, okay? You, you don't understand. When He regenerates you, He gives you different desires, and you don't want to sin. Will you? Uh-huh. In a given moment, you'll choose something else over God, okay? But it's God that's doing it. You can take the glory if you want, but I wouldn't recommend it. Just pick one of the Old Testament kings that thought they deserved the glory instead of God. Father, I thank you that your word is true. Your promises are guaranteed, and you promise those who believe have eternal life. And if somehow, God, I could uneternal it, we recognize that it never was. 
God, we stand here today knowing, knowing that you, who you are, is what makes our eternal destiny sure. It is your Holy Spirit that's been given to us as a guarantee of that inheritance. God, forgive us. And in spiritual arrogance, we thought somehow we did something to be saved, to get saved. And for God, forgive us in our arrogance. Do we think we do something to keep it? Or that any of us are big enough to take it out of your hands? God, forgive us of that arrogance. God, I thank you. I thank you, oh God, that both being saved and staying saved isn't up to me. I thank you, God, that you guide me and lead me. Guide us and lead us. When we do sin, you draw us back to you. You convict our heart. You don't let us stay there. God, all we can do then is give praise to your name. All we can do is thank you for the cup of the new covenant, for that body that was broken for us, that you chose us in him before the foundation of the earth. That's all we can do is thank you. We give all the praise to you. In Christ's name we pray. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's Unchanging Word.